podcast presented by focus press i'm one of your hosts jack wilkie joe and will will be joining me in just a minute with this week's guest who we're very excited about we'll tell you about uh once we get rolling with the episode but before we get into it we've been teasing for some time now uh, a big announcement coming from joe and will it will be out tomorrow tuesday december 13th uh keep an eye on our facebook pages uh, focus press and think deeper but as I've said before, the best way to get all of our updates from Focus Press is go to focuspress.org.org, focuspress.org, and a pop-up box will come up asking for your email address. If you give us that once a week, we're going to send you our latest emails telling you what we're up to, giving updates, and, and all these major announcements, you uh, will be sure to get those every week if you sign up on that list. And so be sure to do that. Be sure to keep an eye out for that announcement. Help us get the word out about it. Uh, the question and answer episodes, you guys came through with uh, a lot of questions, a lot of really good questions. We're very excited about that. We will be releasing those Monday, December 19th, and then uh, there might be a second follow-up episode. We're going to have to check and see on that, see uh, just just how, uh, how long it takes us to get through all those questions. So we'll be keeping an eye out for those. Again, thank you to everyone who sent in questions. We will be doing another one down the road, but for now, uh, that's... Uh, we're, we're done taking questions. We're, we're getting ready to record this one. And so, uh, be sure and check that out. And if there's, I don't think there's anything else I need to let you know about. Let's get into this week's episode. So this week we are very excited to have Dr. Kerry Williams on the podcast. He is uh, the Dean of the graduate program at Sunset, uh, Sunset International, I guess is, is it Sunset Bible Institute? Mm-hmm. There you go. The Bible Institute. Um, it's a huge honor to have, uh, Dr. Kerry on the podcast with us. He is um, somebody that I've I've been around a little bit. I've gotten to hear a couple of his lectures on this topic that we're covering today. Fascinating. I, I would say he's probably the foremost expert in the church on this from everything I've read and seen. And so we're we're very uh, excited to have him on the podcast discussing demonology. Now, Gary, I figure I'll, I'll turn it over to you to let you introduce yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, I'm happy to be here. First of all, I want to thank all of you for this opportunity. Uh, as mentioned, I, I wear a number of hats. I'm the dean of the graduate school since 2016 of Sunset International Bible Institute, which is the first preaching school in the Churches of Christ, founded in 1962, and has we've traditionally been the largest of them and, and with the widest footprint in about 70 nations. We have schools to this day. Uh, but I primarily work with students in the United States who are pursuing either a master's or a doctorate, which we have three master's degrees and two doctoral degrees. And so that's been my work there. But I've been preaching in the Churches of Christ for 31 years now and currently am the pulpit minister at the West Main Church of Christ in Tupelo, Mississippi. And then my third hat that I wear is I've been the director of the Tahoe Family Encampment, uh, took over from being co-director for a number of years from Paul Methvin, who had directed that program for over 50 years. Uh, it used to be called the Yosemite Family Encampment uh, back in the day, started in 1948. And we have had some great years. And besides one year in 2020, when we didn't have the camp, and I can let you guess why, uh, we have been in consecutive op- operation for over 75 years. So that's a, a great honor. And and so those are 
those are kind of like the highlights of me. I'm I'm married, been married 31 years and uh have three grown children. So well that's that's fantastic. I've been to um Tahoe, been to to Sunset and uh had the privilege to go there. Huge sunsets, you know, it's it's incredible campus and incredible school. Um, but also to the family encampment. I think all of us on the podcast have had the the privilege to go there. And so that's obviously a, a fantastic time um each year. And so for our listeners, make sure to check that out. So Getting into the subject here of, of angels, demons, demonology, what got you particularly interested in this? Because as I mentioned, you're you're you know quite the expert here. You're writing a book on it. I think you've already written a book on this subject before. Mm-hmm. I know you teach it in your master's program, um, and or in the graduate, whether you know master's or PhD. But um, what got you particularly interested, and in kind of what got you started in this subject? Well, you know, as as with many subjects that become a passion. Uh, this I have a personal experience that kind of impacted me in this way. And that when I was a very young preacher, I think it was my first year out of preaching school, maybe 22 years old. And I, you know, I, I'd been raised a preacher's son. And so in, in that I'd grown up in the church and had the experience of kind of inheriting a heritage of faith. And I won't say that it wasn't real to me. It was so much so that I wanted to follow into my father's footsteps and, and be able to impact people for their eternal destiny and just have a a life of that reflected that legacy and, and those things that are most important. But, you know, as many of us do who grow up in the church, you know, it's kind of a, it's just part of our life. It's just been, you know, kind of, imposed upon us in a, in a sense, although it is our choice. And so I, I, I was finding who I was as we always are when we're young and just starting out. And I, it, I was in Pendleton, Oregon was my first congregation. And I sat in the office all day trying to figure out what to do and, you know, trying to set up Bible studies and be evangelistic. And I get a phone call from a fella who wants to meet me at Denny's and have a conversation about, he said, maybe becoming a Christian. And so I was quite excited about that possibility. But as soon as I got there and we sat at the corner booth together, it got weird. It got really weird. Um, this I'm I'm a by nature kind of a, a skeptical person who is always going to plan for the worst but hope for the best kind of thing. And so I'm 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 a little bit, you know, I I try to get a sense of people, and this guy felt wrong. He felt very wrong. Mm. And but in it, he was saying things and it was an extremely manipulative conversation where he is trying to to convince me what it ended up being is, is he was trying to scam. But in it, I was I had a personal struggle within me because he would say things about his dad being a, some kind of pastor in some church and how the the hypocrisy and how he doesn't know if Christians really mean it or really are real. There was a conversation in there. I can't even been so many years ago i can't remember all the details i just more remember the emotions that i felt and there were things where he was challenging me about do you you know or is this really real to you or is it just about your job or just about your money or just about all of these things and so i had a personal conflict within myself and as i went home that night he even talked about having a gun in his bag would you be willing to 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 give your life for what you believe, or are you just a fake, like all the rest kind of things? Very manipulative. Um, I, I, I guess I was susceptible to it, 
but not for the reasons people would think. He didn't, he didn't dupe me. It was more of a, in my heart, I wanted to prove to myself and to God, you know, that I would seek first the kingdom of God and that indeed, um, if my life was on the line, I mean, greater love hath no man than this. And, and I wondered in my heart, I mean, would I, would I give up my life for what the Lord wants? And so he was just more of a, the catalyst of, of an internal struggle that I had about how real is this to me? And wow. so I went home that night and I didn't sleep at all because he wanted to meet again in the morning. And I, I thought there was a real possibility I wouldn't ever come home to my wife and my newborn baby. But I, I, you know, typically everybody would have advised me, well, you just needed to leave him alone. You needed to, and, and that I thought about that. That was the smart thing to do, but I didn't do that. I went in the morning because I prayed diligently, Lord, I want you to be first. And no matter what I, I I've got to go. And I, I remember my wife being so concerned because I was so odd when I left saying things like, you know, I hope you know that I love you and I always will. And, and she knew something weird was going on. Well, when all that was said and done, the guy, you know, he was just still trying to manipulate. And when he, he didn't get everything he wanted, he, he was gone, you know. And But what ended up happening is I reflected on that a lot through the years. Because it, in, a, in a way, at least in my mind, it may not have been a real threat. But in my mind, it was. And just the way this guy was was like no other human being I'd ever met ever just his, his powers of persuasion and manipulation and just the, and now this is going to sound weird, but the, the sense I got from him wasn't natural. And so that kind of made me start. I, I read things like we've, you know, entertained angels unawares. And I thought, well, if we've entertained angels unawares, what about evil spiritual beings? And I, I'm not asserting that he was an, an evil being. I'm not asserting that he was possessed, but he was weird. And also I've come to the conclusion and to the kind of the place in my spiritual journey where I'm open to possibilities. And so I don't know what he was. I don't know who he was, but I know that it felt like the Holy Spirit was warning me throughout that whole encounter. And it just kind of opened my eyes to things in scripture that I had read and studied at all, but not paid close attention to. And that's kind of how my journey began. That's, that's fascinating. That really is. In my experience, Christians fall on two sides of this, this, of people who have had that kind of an experience and think something's weird going on. And I'd, I'd say I've had one of those myself. And then others who are very dubious of that kind of thing. Eh, I'm not sure. You're probably making too much of it. And so a lot of times we shy away from angels, demons, spiritual warfare, all of this stuff. Why? Why does this not really get much coverage in the church? Why is it not the subject of classes, sermons, things like that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because you say that people fall on two sides of that. I would say that people used to fall on one side of that because I have only recently started talking about this and it's been, you know, almost 30 years ago. And the reason is, is because initially, and what ended up happening is I think he was wanting the church's money. 
um, was his ultimate motive. He got some from me, but I didn't have any, so it was not not a big deal. But the, you know, I was I was traumatized by this, and I tried to talk to some older preachers in the church, you know, to kind of find comfort, and it was not comforting at all, because they were very inaccurate as to what was going on in my mind. They made assumptions that were, to me, I felt insulted by it. And there were good fellows, but they they just were so locked in to our very narrow mindset that it was basically, well, you just got, you just got conned. You just got manipulated. You just got, but I remember how I felt and what I thought and who I am as far as what my personality is like. And I knew there was something up from the very first moment, but I, I feel that life is a test. And I think the Lord's been very good to me since that day. And in some senses, I feel that I, I showed the Lord something. And that was my intention in my heart. It had nothing to do with this guy. It had to do with me and God in that I wanted to show God that, you know, even if I felt my life was in danger, I was going to try to do what was right. And I needed to show that to me. I needed to know that within myself. But I'm telling you, everybody I talked to for two or three years after that and tried to get some comfort. It, it just, it just basically, oh, you poor little guy. You're just so, you're just so gullible. Well, that is not a word that, that I've ever been I'm not gullible. And, and I knew, but they just couldn't. And I tried to explain that I'm, I'm, I needed to, I needed to communicate something to God and to myself. They couldn't even fathom that. It's just like, well, why did you, why'd you fall for that kind of thing? And so Jack, I think that the thing that when you said that people, fall on different camps. I think that's becoming the case now, but for a long time in the church, we were very, very, very formulaic in our, in our understanding of spiritual things. And as a result, that made us almost dismiss or ignore anything we didn't have or couldn't find a clear answer or understanding to it. And so uh, that, yeah, I, I, I agree that it's getting better, but for a long time, and that, that was my personal experience with it, we were very, very narrow-minded. Harry, for those who might be a bit more familiar with this area, they probably know the name Michael Heiser, and I'm sure that's uh-huh. a name that you, that you are familiar with as well. He's he's probably the most well-known um, you know, kind of commentator as far as this particular area goes. He's written a number of books, The Unseen Realm. Uh, supernatural, what the Bible teaches about the unseen world. He wrote a book called Demons, uh, what the Bible really says about the power of darkness. So obviously done a lot of work um, in that area, written several books. I wanted to know, uh, for those who might be listening that are familiar with him, first of all, are you familiar with with kind of his thoughts on everything? And then number two, what would you say to those who are wondering if they should check out his stuff? Is, is that something that you would recommend uh, Christians to go take a look and, and maybe read some of those books? Uh <sighs> You know, I never, I never steer people away from an exploration of spiritual things. However, um, if we're going to talk about Heiser, some I, I, I don't see eye to eye with him on a lot of things, but I do think it's pretty good to expand our minds and to be able to look at, you know, what it is that the spiritual world entails and what I really like about what he says. And and I'm not an expert on his work. I've, I've scanned a lot of it, looked at excerpts, um, I'm, but I haven't read them cover to cover. But from what I understand from his work is his, 
his basic goal is for people to reread the Bible for the first time. He says things like that. And what he's meaning is through the lens of, of spirituality and through the lens of understanding that the spiritual world and the material world interact with one another all the time. And so with that as an objective, that's the same objective I have. And really anybody who's writing or teaching in this space is we're wanting people to, to read the Bible through a different lens. So in that sense, I mean, I, I don't know that it's unhealthy as long as, as long as we have a, an adoration and a loyalty to the words of scripture above all else and are cautious as we examine things. I, I wouldn't think his, just like if you're reading the screw tape letters or um, there's a book I assigned called the devil goes to church by, I think the last guy's last name is, but um, I don't agree with all those things either, but I, I, the whole point of this is to get people to think out of the box and to expand their mind. Of course, always trying to be consistent with scripture. And that's where my, my struggle is with some of these guys is that they're, I, I think that our theology needs to be consistent. And some of much of our theology in the past about these things was very inconsistent. But when you, when you look at folks like, like Heiser, he, I mean, he's a most likely at least influenced by Calvinism very heavily. So anytime that someone's influenced by those things and very premillennial in their doctrine and, and in their eschatology, you're, you're going to find that there's a lot of holes to be poked in there. And so when I've looked at this subject, I've tried to formulate thoughts that weave everything together without glaring inconsistencies, if you understand where I'm coming from on that. Right. So um, yeah, from what I've seen of his stuff, it's got some interesting concepts. I, I think he goes really fast off the rails and and develops an entire, I, I mean, I kind of like the stuff he says on a on an entertainment level because I'm I'm a I like to read fantasy. I listen to audiobooks on I just always like that kind of thing. And boy, his really, really, really sounds like that. So <laughs> right. um, you know, it's entertaining. And and I think he's got some nuggets in there that of truth that that fit with the biblical narrative. So I, I guess my answer would say I would say yes, you can examine those things, but do it cautiously, like you would, even if you read the stuff that because I'm very clear about. You know, we're putting vague puzzle pieces together in spiritual warfare, and it, we're we're having to make some educated guesses about it. Yeah, and I think we have to be. You know, there's a difference between exploring the gray area of spiritual warfare, saying the Bible for sure says this, 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 and this, and but being honest about the fact that, but we our our interpretation of it, you know, it seems to all fit, but it. it it's still an interpretation. It's not well, laid out in plain language. And we've talked about that before on this podcast, the kind of spit out the bones camp of going outside of quote unquote, the church of Christ author in order to maybe explore. But you do, like you said, you have to go into it, you know, that cliche saying, but with a grain of salt, make sure you're not just going to blindly accept everything that, that you read again, whether that be any kind of doctrine or any kind of exploring right. biblical principles or things like that. So, um, but yeah, that, that that's one that, again, a lot of people are, are going to be probably familiar with him. And so that's one of those things. You know, there's some people it's just better to steer clear from completely. Um, completely. And so that, that was a question that we wanted to to clear up. Yeah. And so well, you mentioned, you know. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm just going to well, start us in gonna... a different direction on the, you, you brought that's up okay. you know, weighing everything by scripture. Um, so 
with a couple of things, he's very big on Psalm 82. He says, you know, God, the divine counsel, you are gods. Um, but really that question of gods, small g in the Old Testament, Baal, Moloch, Astaroth, all those. As a kid, growing up in the church, all that, you just, you kind of, I think what I was taught was they're just blocks of wood. There's nothing going on there. And uh-huh. so that's, I, I'm going to put that question to you. Are they just blocks of wood or is there something a little more in, in that Old Testament use of gods? Uh, well, t- my my thinking on it is that no, I don't think that they're blocks of wood, but that doesn't mean that I agree with his interpretation of that. And and what sure, I mean sure. is that he kind his divine counsel concept is that um, basically the the pagan gods he, they're below God, but they're they're like lower G gods and things of this nature. My struggle with that is that the entire theology of Israel that is reiterated throughout the new testament and understandably we believe it was inspired by the holy spirit i believe that every word of the scripture is given by god and there is a clear unapologetic monotheistic mindset throughout scripture and and he bases a lot of it on you know he's a scholar and you know i've been with a lot of scholars through the years and textual criticism ancient criticism is a is a common way to, you know and academically to interpret the bible and they'll look and and you know he he's compares a lot with pagan nations and their writings and and how those compare to the 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 ancient writings of the of the israelite people and tries to to blend and meld those things together and that's where in a lot of ways in in my humble estimation we you know get off track and we get focused on things that really don't serve the greater purpose of the scriptures and what God is trying to communicate in our life when we're constantly trying to critique the Bible and and mesh it together with the writings of the Gilgamesh ethic or other other writings. I mean, where this has really been a, a problem is trying to compare the biblical timeline with the Egyptian timeline because this Pharaoh doesn't match up and all this. And I'll just tell y'all, I'm, I, I mean, I've been through all these educational and academic things and read them all, but I'm just a good old fashioned, if something disagrees with the Bible, the Bible's right kind of guy. And so, so the thing is, is the Egyptian timeline's wrong. I mean, in, in my understanding and, and my faith. So what my struggle with him is he is, it seems that he's trying to, to mesh those things together. Now to answer your question, I don't think they're just blocks of wood because our enemy, Satan, is engaged in a spiritual warfare and has been since the fall in the garden, or he, really his fall from heaven. And he is currently still, I mean, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against prince, prince powers, powers, weakness, and all that in heavenly places. And so that spiritual war is still raging. I mean, it's raging all around us. But where does a real Baal or a Ra or a Asherah or any of these, where did that fit into the equation? I mean, the devil, he doesn't care if we worship him. He only is concerned with who we don't worship, it seems, in Scripture. Because his whole purpose and his vindictive nature is to damage God in the only way he can hurt God, which is to hurt those that mean the very most to God, which is us. So, you know, you have the you have the priests of Ra and, and of the the 
Egyptian gods who in that encounter with Moses, they throw their rods down and they turn into serpents. And the Bible doesn't indicate that that's a trick. I mean, it seems like they did. And so we have that. Well, was it Ra doing that? I don't think it needs to be. I think it it very well could be the power of the other supernatural being, Satan, who is willing to masquerade himself. I mean, and he, he does that. I mean, he's the father of lies. He's the father of deceit. I don't have any issue with him masquerading himself as any other thing or deity to draw people's attention away from worship of the almighty. And so just as he did so with those prophets and priests of Egypt, I would, I would think that that's very possible with, you know, Baal and Asherah. And, and here's, here's the thing is I think that probably did happen because you, that whole biblical expression of causing your children to pass through the fire, that's child sacrifice. And I, I know mamas cause I live with one and I have one and y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about with this. I guess I could understand why the first mama would sacrifice their child. And you know how mamas are about their children sacrifice their child in order to, for their crops to improve or whatever they're praying to this pagan God for. What I don't understand is how the fifth one or the hundredth one or the thousandth one does if that never worked. Right. You understand where I'm coming from on this? So I think the devil has always had power. It's less than God, of course. I mean, it's it's inconsequential compared to God, but from our perspective, it's power. And I don't think, I don't have an issue with him hiding behind those blocks of wood, as you said, and performing supernatural things to draw people's hearts away from the Almighty. Does that kind of address what you asked? Yeah, the theory I've heard and, and kind of thought about is that those are just demons the Baal and Asherah and all the, all that you just mentioned are are more and it kind of goes the same thing demonic power from Satan but that those would be demons that God kind of allows people to follow but when it comes to putting his foot down such as Elijah Mount Carmel right it's like no shut up you're you're you have no power in this situation even though previously clearly they're cutting themselves and and crying out and so previously it seems they did have power but in that moment God steps in and goes nope you have no power. That's my understanding of it, right? That there's God obviously has all power, but that he allows them to kind of allows people to worship these things. Yeah. Well, and so, I think that, that that gets into the biggest realm of inconsistency I see in the church throughout my years in the church and my life doing and when we're sharing these things is that that struggle between God's power and the power of the enemy is convoluted and really swirling around with potential inconsistencies that are profound. And what I mean by that is that, is it a spiritual war? Well, it we, we run into some issues with, if God is in absolute control over every detail, like the Calvinists would teach us, and really like we would express it much of the time in the church. I've heard that expressed that way all my life is that God is really in control. That's why I think, I mean, I say one of the things I say in my seminars all the time is that um, in the Church of Christ, we distinctly believe in God with all of our heart. We just don't believe in the devil. And the reason I say that is because 
I have seen it dozens of times in you know three decades of preaching that a believer will have some tragic thing, and I would never, never try to to diminish people's pain or agony. But when someone has something tragic, lose a spouse, lose a child, and then people, why did God do this to me? They blame God. I've never heard anyone ever blame the devil in the church. Never. Because at the end of the day, we have this convoluted, difficult thing to reconcile, which is we've kind of believed God is in charge of every single detail. And don't don't misinterpret that I'm diminishing the power of the Almighty. I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I'm saying to find consistency in it, we have this struggle because here God is in control of everything. And then when terrible things happen, if he's in control of everything, then guess whose fault it ultimately is? Right. And it's almost like, you know, going to war, you know, our nation was in war with Iraq and Afghanistan for years and years. And it would almost be like, okay, every time they wanted to kill one of our soldiers, they sent an email and asked permission and we gave them permission. That's not a war, not in anyone's estimation. For it to be a war, as is described in scripture, the devil has to have some power and he has to have the ability to win some battles that God wouldn't even want to be won. Mm. Now that doesn't that doesn't say that God doesn't have all power. It's right. it's kind of like, and none of these illustrations are perfect, so bear with me on this, but it's kind of like, you know, we talk about God's permission, God allowed. Well, there's the idea of a, a broad permission in that he al allows everything to happen to suit his broader purpose. And then there's specific permission, you know, like if they had sent the email, can we go ahead and kill this troop of soldiers? I mean, God's, that wouldn't be a war. But e even in that situation with Iraq or Afghanistan, there was still this broader permission because the United States could have stopped them from killing a single soldier with an atom bomb. I mean, we had the power. The problem is that wouldn't serve the ultimate objective, which is to free those people that society, you, you understand where I'm coming right. from on this. Right. So I think we have to find a way to reconcile that mm -hmm. because God's ultimate objective is to give people the opportunity to choose him. Life is a test. And, uh, and uh, my favorite text in the old Testament on this is Deuteronomy eight, one and two, where he says, why did I allow you to wander in the wilderness these 40 years? Now we believe in the shadow system of old Testament, new Testament, almost everything that happened in reality in historically also was a shadow to teach us something about the reality in Christ. We all know that. Well, indeed we sing about the reality to Canaan's land. I'm on my way. And we're singing about the shadow uh, about the reality from the shadow of the old Testament promised land. Well, if heaven is the reality of the shadow of the promised land, then what they had to pass through that was pain and suffering and agony is also a shadow. Mm. And what would it be a shadow of? Of this life. Right. So when God says to them, why did I allow you to wander in the wilderness these 40 years, wander through pain and death and suffering and struggle? Why did I allow you to do that? He's not just talking about, if we're correct about the shadow system, he's not just talking about why the Israelites had to wander for 40 years in a literal desert. He's talking about 
why we, all of his people, have to wander in a spiritual desert called life. We have to pass through this life in order to get to eternity. And so if that's the case, then what he says there about why he allowed that tells us the purpose, the reason, the why God made us, why everything is, and and the, the meaning of life. And he says, to test you, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep my commandments or not. And then, of course, Jesus gives great commentary on that last part. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So life is a test so that we have the opportunity to choose God because God wants companionship that is that is real companionship. That's not simply, that's so you know, it, it's the old age old king problem. You know, uh, we see kings in the Old Testament who won't tell their vision because they know if they tell their vision, they're going to get the answer that their advisors think that they want. Well, imagine how exponentially problematic that is for the creator of the universe to have real companionship. That's not just yes, men. Yeah. What's so interesting about everything that you just broke down is that you, I've grown up in the church my entire life and you hear, you know, constantly, well, the old Testament is the new Testament concealed. Right. And, and you hear stuff like that often, but it's, it's very rarely is it broken down into the specifics just like you laid it out. You know, we, we speak in very general terms about how the Old Testament, you know, is a shadow, like you said, of the New Testament. But the way you just broke it down in very specific verses about specifically what he's talking about, again, as Jack brought up to start the episode, we don't really discuss those things. And, and maybe that's just for a lack of knowledge or, or, or whatever it is. But again, I've grown up in the church for, for 23 years and never heard anything broken down quite like that, like the way you just did. Just fascinating stuff. It is. This it is. is the sad so, thing of... of- typology you know again in the church of christ not as much the other they're kind of getting to it in you know christendom we're starting to come around and understand those things but jack you're probably going where i was going to i was going to move to the next point of the outline because well, i was just going to say hear- we've got time for probably two questions left and so we've got to hit a couple of these that i like i don't think we'd have done our due diligence if we didn't ask these so go ahead with yours joe because this is one yeah. i want to know a lot of people want to know so go ahead right what's the deal with the nephilim what do you make of the nephilim um, in, in Genesis six, there are seemingly other appearances later in scripture, the giants and Canaan. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that specifically? Well, you know, the, the two basic opposing viewpoints on this or sons of God means the sons of Seth, you know, or, or that they're, that they're just the faithful and they take wives of the unfaithful. Uh, I see how people, especially when your mind's open to, I, I mean, when you have a formulaic mindset about about everything, then that fits really good. But the problem is it, it this the text seems to indicate that their offspring were not regular humans. And so that's where the, the trouble comes in. So, you know, you look at the Jude passage about that, um, you know, the, that they, the angels took strange flesh type idea and people try to combine that there. And so my answer to that is an answer I give frequently when people ask me certain questions and this is the one. And so you're, unfortunately it's not going to be super helpful, but the truth is, is that I don't know for sure exactly what that means, but I'm open to the possibility that perhaps it was some kind of interaction between 
evil demonic forces. And that's kind of where I, I you know, some of what I says is, is semantics, right? Because he makes these gods lesser created beings, which I, mean, I do that too. When I say that there's the powers of wickedness and the powers of good, there's angels and, and demons. So some of that semantics, but he, he likes to take it farther and break it down that they are actually, it almost seems like identified as these, these idol, idols and, and pagan gods. I, I'm not comfortable with that. But when we look at this idea that they are, they are working among mankind and how far does that go? Could they, could they have relations with human beings and result? Well, this is what we know. Goliath existed. His brothers existed. Um, there were great giants upon the earth. Was that the offspring of demonic angels that fell and that was part of their fall? The best answer I can give is maybe, and that's kind of where I differ from some guys on this. If I don't feel fairly comp, I mean, I have kind of three stages. This is what the Bible says. This is what this is what's true. Then there's boy, there's a lot of evidence to say that this is probably most likely what this means. And then there's this part of, well, it might mean this, but I just don't feel I have enough evidence to speak assertively on it. And that's kind of where I am. However, what I think is important is I'm comfortable with not knowing. I'm comfortable with, with the gray area, the mystery, as the scriptures would describe it. And that's where I think in the church we struggle is we're not, I mean, my own mother doesn't come to my seminars when I do these. And she thinks I'm the greatest preacher in the world. And she doesn't come because she doesn't want to, she said, I, I just can't handle it when you get into all that hocus pocus, you know? And so it, I think that's what it comes down to is, are we comfortable with other possibilities or are we not? So I, so I know that's not a, that doesn't give clarity on the subject, but it does on the overall, how we view the subject. I think. Sure. No, I didn't, and I appreciate that. Um, here's kind of another, I'll roll this in, maybe another gray area. A lot of people, and interestingly, you hear a lot of people in Christendom, you don't hear this as much in the Church of Christ, but I run across the, we have guardian angels, specifically kids. Some people think children are able to see the guardian angels, and that's where they're looking off into the distance, and they can see it, but adults kind of lose the ability. What are your thoughts on guardian angels? Another gray area, do you believe, I, I know you've we were talking, I think, off air, but, you know, you got a book um, coming out. I remember hearing an excerpt from your book. I'm fascinated. I, I'm going to be the first to line up to buy it, to be honest. But you have talked about this concept of guardian angels. What are your thoughts on that? And back end of that question, well, I guess I'll let you answer that one first. But I'm curious about the idea of a personal tormentor, like almost a exact the, the counterpart. Screw tape letters type thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, it. I'm comfortable with the. I, I do think that the angels help us. They were they're ministering servants to mankind. In fact, I I think that that is probably the reason for the fall. And we can address that after I answer this part. But when it comes to guardian angels, I think that most likely, since we're the only thing that matters in this universe to God, I mean the rest is just like meaningless in the grand scheme of things. All that matters is people and the souls of mankind. So that means that the spiritual war has to be conducted for that, to win or to lose the souls of mankind. And by the way, on that, I, I, I think we get that mixed up. We think of 
ourselves as being on the defense and the devil being on the offense. I think the devil's on the defense and we're on the offense. And some people think I read too much into it, but in Matthew 16, it talks about, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Those are not words of, those are not words of offense. Those are words of defense. I mean, there's never been a city. I'm a historian and there's never been a, a nation that I know of in the history of the world that carried their city gates to siege another city. I mean, that's a defensive mm. thing. We take the fight, go ye therefore into all the world. So we're, we're supposed to, the devil already has everybody. I mean, right. we're trying to win the back. So it's a spiritual war. So that makes sense to me that every conflict between demons and angels, uh, fallen angels, evil angels, if you want to call them that, and, and, and faithful angelic beings has to be over the souls of mankind. So therefore, yes, I, I think that they're intervening, they're working, they're trying to tempt us. Now, whether or not we each have a specific assigned one, that would that would mean either that there are 7 billion on each side as of today, or that they only really apply to Christians. And I, I think that's probably the case. I mean, it, why would there be a guardian angel of a person that is lost in sin, you know, when the devil already has full control over them? So I guess what I'm saying, I don't know if a, an angel has multiple people that he guards and a demon has multiple people that he tempts. I, I don't know how that works. Or if it's one-on-one, -on -one, uh, that's just, I think, guessing. But the concept, I think, pretty much has to be true because of the objective of the war, which is the souls of mankind. And and you tell an interesting story in your seminar about, I don't want to mix it up, Elijah or Elisha. I think it's Elisha, right, with a servant. And, and he uh -huh. says, you know, ask for God to open the, the eyes of the servant. And, um, and, and I don't want to misquote this because I'm trying to think of scripturally where this is, but you've talked about that before where the servant's eyes are open, right? And, and he's able to see the spiritual forces that are with, it's Elisha, right? It, 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 it's Elisha and it's his servant and they're on the walls of Samaria. And I think it's second Kings six, maybe I could okay. be wrong about that, but, it, but yeah, that's a, <laughs> That's the second instance of that phrasing being used because Balaam and Balaam's donkey, the incident there is the first time that we see it. And they're both spiritual, you know, awakenings. And Balaam's is a very interesting concept because the donkey saw the angel and Balaam didn't. And there's no indication in scripture that that's miraculous. You ever have your dog bark at nothing? Maybe he's not, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, because it seems like the donkey could see the angel, but then the Bible says, and the Lord opened his eyes and he saw the angel before him. Same thing in, in Elisha's account is they're, they're surrounded by the enemy. The, the servant comes up, he's naturally anxious. What are we going to do? He says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. He opens his eyes. He sees fiery chariots surrounding the enemy. But then the really interesting part is he said, is Elisha says, but don't you know that those who are with us are greater than those who are with them which is kind of indicates that he doesn't even see every spiritual being that's there because there's also spiritual beings with the enemy so there's a spiritual conflict happening in the spiritual world that is interacting with and contemporary with the happenings in the material world so seems uh, to kind of lay on top of it in a way like the spiritual oh yeah it interacts I mean, I say uh, in the intro to my prior book, 
I talk about the matrix a lot. I mean, that, 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 that movie and you know, it's, it's got a lot of violence. So whether we recommend that or not is a different thing, but a lot of people have probably seen it. And that concept that, that people are living in a world that is not really the real world, mm -hmm. but yet the real world and that world are interacting with one another and impact one another distinctly. I, I mean, that movie freaked me out when I saw it the first time, not for the reasons it did everybody else, but because I was making spiritual applications to it. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is, this is kind of what it is, you know? This is kind of what it is. Giving us red pills on the spiritual world. I love it. Uh, Will yeah, has our last question, but I want to back up to something you, you kind of said as an aside, and it blew my mind, so I want to go back to it real quick. On the guardian angel thing, you said that might be what's responsible for the fall, I think you said? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Go into that, please. Okay, so I, I think that, you know, there's one of the passages that is often argued about whether it's about Satan is Ezekiel 28. That's Hebrew parallelism about the fall of Tyre and the king of Tyre. And I, I do think it's talking about the devil because it can't describe any other being, you know, in the Garden of Eden, um, you know, uh, the, the, the chief cherub. So I, I kind of suspect that Satan was the archangel before he was demoted and cast down in his rebellion. And then it talks about how you were beautiful and your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. And then when you fell, you were cast to the earth. All those things fit devil because in the qualifications for elders, it says he must not be a new a novice or a new convert lest to become puffed up with pride and fall under the same condemnation as the devil. I mean, the Bible tells us that's what caused the devil's fall. If that's what caused the devil's fall, we also look at the timing of it. When did he fall? He didn't fall before the earth was created because he was cast to the earth. Now, that's interesting. So why why would that timing be in effect? I don't know how long angels existed before this earth, but I think it'd be fair to assume a while. Why, why did he fall after the earth was created? Well, just imagine God, for some reason, the angels don't fill God's need. And I don't mean need as in that he needs us to exist. I mean, I, I would survive without my precious wife as would you guys, but the, but the quality of my existence would be greatly diminished, right? There's, there's actual existence and then there's quality of life. Well, if God indeed did, as we talked about in Deuteronomy 8, if God indeed desired real companionship, for whatever reason, angels didn't provide that. I mean, they didn't provide it. So he made man in his image and he gave us the ability to choose in this wilderness. And all of that takes place. And I just wonder, and this is in, in my novel that I've done, I've got a whole section on this looking back and of course it's fictional and taking place, but this is how I envision it is that God set all the angels down and it's like, I've got the plan of plans is about to take place. I'm going to create the world. Great. I'm going to make these human beings. Great. You're going to serve them. Now, if the devil's problem is pride, how did that go over? How do you think that went over? An angel is infinitely more powerful than a human being physically, and they do have physicality. Scriptures are clear on that. Well, indeed, if, if the devil relishes in his 
beauty and being the top dog and all of these things. And then he says, you're going to serve these weak, short-lived beings that I'm creating. I, I just don't think that probably went over very well. well I'm going to serve them. They should be serving me, right? And so, and then why would he, you know, Revelation 12, the battle in heaven, uh, he sweeps his tail and a third of the stars from the sky fall with him. Um, and, and, you know, we, we're just making guesses as to if that means this specifically, but it seems to fit. Well, why would he have angels that went with him? Well, same way that problems start in church hallways. Did you hear what the, did you hear what decision the elders are making? Or did you hear what the youth minister's doing? And people rally together behind the scenes. You know how that works. Yeah. Well, it seems to make sense. And all the timing seems to fit perfect. Satan fell when God created man. So for whatever reason, he didn't like that. And it seems like his pride might be the reason for it. Does so that kind I, of I address? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. This is, sorry, I know we got other questions, but it's just blowing my mind. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to judge, it says we're going to judge the angels, right? This is First uh, Corinthians 6, I want to say. Um that, that will judge the angels. He also mentions head coverings in first Corinthians 11, a few chapters later about being due to the angels. I'm curious how, if that fits in with a little bit of what you just told us, like they're serving us. Do we judge the angels based off of you were here to serve us? You didn't serve us the way that you needed to, right? If, if somebody falls or whatever that may be because the angel let down on his job. I mean, what do you make of the, we're going to judge the angels? Well, you know, there's so many passages in the New Testament that talk about, you know, he's given all things under his feet for the good of the church and and that, you know, that we will sit in judgment. I mean, we seldom talk about what that means because really nobody is confident enough to assert exactly what it means. But it does seem like I, I don't think that angels are a higher being than humanity. In fact, if you look at the fact that God had them before us and then he made us in his image and there's no indication in scripture that he did that. There's also no indication in scripture that they have opportunity to repent. Um, I, I, I don't know why, but th th there isn't. Um, angels are not the crowning jewel of creation. Human beings are. And I don't mean that to disparage our angelic friends and brothers, but that that's just what the Bible teaches. So in that sense, we will, I mean, we are crowned and and robed with the perfection of Christ Jesus. And the Bible does talk about God's people sitting in judgment. So will we sit in judgment of the righteous angels? Well, I, I, it wouldn't seem that that would be appropriate, but it, perhaps, I mean, those ones that have tried to tempt us and destroy us will stand before, of course, the Lord, but but they may stand before us as well. So that would be my, my best guesstimation on it. So, Carrie, the, the question that we want to end with is this is all incredibly fascinating stuff. And, you know, there might be I, I doubt there's anybody listening to this that would think this, but maybe it's somebody that reads the episode title and is just kind of going, OK, what does it matter? Right. I mean, obviously, it's 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 important, you know, spiritual warfare. That's a big deal. But somebody might be looking at this going, OK, again, what does it matter? How do I apply this to, to my life today? What are what are takeaways that I need to know, again, to live 
in this world, you know, seven days a week, 24 seven, basically the, the last question that we want you to answer is what does all of this mean for Christians today? What are, again, if somebody wanted a takeaway, some application points, obviously again, beyond just the fact that all this is incredibly fascinating and, and just very interesting to hear about, what are some things that, that we could take away from this as far as what it means for our life today? Well, I, I think, a a broader understanding of spiritual warfare helps us to see life for what it is rather than the distractions the devil wants us to adopt in our mindset and in our thinking. Because we all know that it is so easy to be just make our faith and our Christianity a portion of the big pie of our life, just one piece of it. And when you're aware of the spiritual war, you can't do that because I mean, there has never been a soldier in a trench in a foxhole with bullets flying around and, and you know, mortar shells dropping around him that is distracted by his Twitter feed. I mean, he just it just does not going to happen, right? I mean, it's a it keeps us on track, focused, and aware, especially if you're special forces and you're behind the lines and completely surrounded by the enemy. And we are. I mean, we are. We're behind enemy lines. Now we have the best equipment and we certainly have the power of the almighty on our side, but we're behind enemy lines. But yet we start to feel like this world is our home. We start to feel like we're more than just strangers and pilgrims. I think the greatest evidence of that is how ridiculously God's people are involved in politics. I mean, you, that'll probably offend some people, but they probably didn't know who I was anyway. So that's fine. But, the, but you know, just look at the Facebook feeds. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. And I'm like, why are you, do you realize that these people that you're talking that way about are the very objective of our purpose for existence? That's what this war is about. But yet we get so distracted by everything. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, if we're keeping this at the forefront of our thoughts, it puts it all in perspective. It also puts in perspective why we exist, the meaning of life, which is to pass that test. And, and I think that explains a lot of Old Testament passages and, and narratives, because, you know, you look at people like Abraham, who's given this test with Isaac. And Abraham didn't matter when, even when he fell and when he sinned, Abraham, it's like everything just panned out. I mean, that story in in Genesis 20 with Abraham and Abimelech, where it's the second time that Abraham lies about Sarah. You remember that instance? So it, I always find that ironic that the father of faith, the only recorded instances of his sin were lacks of faith. That's a whole other thing to study. But here, here you go. And he goes there and the king takes her because he lies and says, my sister, he takes her as his wife. God comes to the king and God basically says, you're getting leprosy, your whole family, you're all going to die because you took my man's wife. He said, but I didn't know it was your man's wife. I mean, the narrative is hilarious when you look and you read the emotions and the vocal tones that had to be going on there because God is upset. And he says, but I didn't know. He said, yeah, no, you didn't know. But because you didn't know, I'm going to make it where you don't have to die and your family doesn't have to die. But you got to go to Abraham and you got to give back his wife. And then you've got to ask him to pray for you. Wow, what an unfair situation. I mean, the king didn't do anything wrong in that instance. And he has to 
he's going to die and his family gets sick and he's got to go beg the guy who lied to him and caused this whole thing to pray for him. And you can hear it in his tone. Abraham, I've come to ask you to pray for me, even though this is your fault, even though you did this. And then Abraham prays for him. He gets better. He gives back his wife. And then he doubles the man's wealth. Abraham was already wealthy. So you get a situation where Abraham is in complete sin, is absolutely wrong, has done everything wrong in the circumstance, and God sides with him. Well, that doesn't fit our typical, well, God is always fair and he always judges the right and the wrong. And I mean, honestly, that doesn't fit with most of what we've heard in the church through our lives about you know, God's ethic. But I'll tell you what it does fit. If the meaning of life is to, in the hardest moments, to pass the test and to show God that above all, even in your weakness, he is your number one, you choose him, then that makes perfect sense because Abraham was a friend of God and Abimelech was not. See, I think it gives clarity to the very reason we exist. It's great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, we want to thank you a lot for coming on. This has been really, I know, uh, I know I think you guys have enjoyed this as much as I have. Uh, I think we've all just really, uh, really uh, taken to this material. I really appreciate you sharing all this with us. Um, you said there's a book on the way. I know you've written before, but what? tell us a little bit about this next one before we get out of here. Well, just real quick, I, I have a book called A War to Be Won, a study in spiritual warfare that I use as a textbook, and, and it's written in a 13-week class format so churches can use it. Um, it's available on my website, carrywaynewilliams.com, carrywaynewilliams.com. Um, as are all my books, I have another little novel of historical fiction, biblical historical fiction, where I talk about a character that was one of David's mighty men. It's available on there too. And I, it's a fictional story, but I think it, it is in no way contradictory to anything in scripture. A um, few other little books on there. But the one that's coming out, and it's it's yet to be titled because I'm still struggling with it. It's a it's a fictional work of spiritual warfare where I'm kind of doing the opposite of the screw tape letters, and I'm looking specifically at an angel who's guarding a human being. And there's interactions all the way through that fit with all of these things we've talked about today. So that should be coming out within the next two months or so. So if people watch my website, if they're interested in that, or they could email me, uh, Williams at SIBI.cc. That's Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y dot Williams at SIBI.cc. And I have like a waiting list of, you know, pre-order type things that people are on. And so if they're interested in that, they could also, you know, I would want to encourage people if they're wanting further education to look into our master's and doctorate programs at Sunset, extremely inexpensive um, like $225 a credit hour for the master's and just a little bit more for the doctorate. And we try to have a quality program. So uh, look into that. And then Tahoe Family Encampment, we'd love to see anybody wanting to come and be a part of that. We have a webpage for that as well. Excellent. Everyone go check that out. CarrieWayneWilliams.com. Uh, yep. Thanks again so much for joining us. This was yeah, we uh, really it. enjoyable. It was a great honor. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Dr. Carrie Williams for joining us. Again, keep your eye out for the announcement tomorrow. Facebook.com slash ThinkDeeperPod, ThinkDeeperPod is our Facebook page. So again, make sure you're following us there. The email uh, list I told you about, 
wherever you want to follow us, make sure you're, you're keeping an eye out for that. And we will see you guys next week, Lord willing, with the question and answer episode.